The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com. of Rediscovering the Indies, a independent wrestling history podcast. I am Chris Gullo, joined alongside Jonathan Ash. Hello. And we're getting into another in-depth topic of the history of independent wrestling. Before we get uh, diving into that, though, I just wanted to give a few shout-outs as far as we want to thank all you guys for listening. We eclipsed almost 2,500 listeners for the month of October, so thank you. At one point... We were actually number 65 on the wrestling podcast, wrestling and MMA podcast chart on Chartable on Halloween Day. So we really want to thank you guys for doing that. And tell your friends, tell your family if they have any, you know, love for not only independent wrestling, but just wrestling history in general or just good stories. And, you know, we definitely try to highlight that here. Let them know. Have them listen to us. Of course, we're available on Spotify. We're available on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can go to the, the website of the BICBP uh, Radio Network, uh, you know, the network we love to be part of. They have it right on their website there as well. So you can go to all those uh, services and subscribe to us, too, so you get that notification right away. And if you can, uh, leave a, a rate review for us. We've had some great reviews, so leave a review for us uh, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and we'll be much appreciative of that. And anything, comments, questions, stuff you guys want us to cover, you can actually get a hold of us at social media. Uh, we're RTA Pod on Twitter, uh, Rediscovering the Indies on Instagram, as well as our Facebook fan page. And you can also email us at rediscoveringtheindies at gmail.com. So um, just get in touch with us if you're like, any comments, questions? Maybe we missed something. Maybe we got something wrong. We're, we can make mistakes here. Uh, just let us know. But we want to really thank you guys for listening and help building the audience. It, it's just really cool to see those numbers climb. Um, and it just gets more and more motivation to keep bringing to this to you guys, diving into topic ideas and what are we going to cover next and all that. So it, it's been a lot of fun. And we want to thank you guys for listening. And uh, keep on listening. So... Um, now that we got that out of the way, uh, we are going to dive into a topic that I have been intrigued since my days of being on Turnbuckle Talk Radio, where I would have to look at wrestling news all the time, and I would find all these AWA stories, <laughs> and I'm like, the AWA? What? And it was Del Gagner's, or Del Gagne's AWA. And I knew if I ever did a podcast like this, this was something I wanted to cover. We get to do that here uh, today. So what we are covering is Dale Gagne, Dale Gagner, however you want to call him, him and his AWA. Uh, this guy has quite the story, and it's, it's going to be quite interesting what we're going to go over today of actions he's done and what he's claimed and, and, and what, what he tried to book and whatnot. So um, just to give you guys a little background here, before we really get into the independent wrestling history stuff, we got to get into his background with the AWA. And one of the things I'll be citing a lot, uh, Ash and I, will be the City Pages 
article um, that was written in 2010. And it in, in the article here, uh, he says that he first met Bergani in 1983 at a family reunion of sorts. Though their once proud wrestling empire was in tatters, Vernon Gregg uh, took time to show up to the big gathering of descendants of a common family line. It was for, you know, anyone with gone yawn, gone Dale says, see, my last name is actually pronounced French. It's gone. Yay. So right there, he's claiming that Gagner <laughs> is pronounced the same as Gagne. Yeah. It would not be. It would not. Yeah. And th- this family reunion, he says this happened in 1983. He meets Vern. You know, they, they like him. And he says that in this, Vern asked Dale about his studies and his plans for his future. And he, he basically said, why don't you stop by the office? You know, we'll talk. Gagner remembers. So I went down to his office and he basically offered me a job. The next line in this article is Gagner started working as an independent contractor for Gagne in September 1988. So you met him at a family reunion in 1983, and he said, come on over, and you, and I'll give you a job. And you started working five years later. <laughs> that is the first hole in this story of many holes that we're going to see today. Oh, yeah. And like as, as we go through the notes... Uh, like this whole story of him being related to the Ganyas doesn't really come out until like the mid nineties when he tried to justify a lineage with the AWA. Like all throughout the late eighties, early nineties, through the Observer, through the Crossing Torch, there's no mention whatsoever of him being related. None whatsoever. Greg has never acknowledged it. No, he has never acknowledged it. Um, and it just there's this family you and. Gagner and Gagne, it's a different last name. They're, it doesn't make sense that Gagner would be Gagne in French because Gagne's French. It, yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so right there, that just sets the tone. Yeah. Of this is the type of guy that we're going to deal with. Um, I mean, there's no shortage of people in wrestling that claim lineage of being related to famous people. Like, we run into people all the time in the indies that do that, that say, like, they're Sweet Hansen's nephew or related to this guy, related to that guy. Like, it it happens. And it, a lot of times it's hard to even differentiate, like, is this person, person telling the truth? Because there's, there's so much doubt, but there's so much stuff that could point to it that you – there's no real denial of it. So I will tell you a side story. This is non-wrestling related, but it goes – hundred percent with this story. So a few years back, um, there was a guy that was, he was like a manager or an owner of a barbecue restaurant in, in, in a suburb of Buffalo, New York. And his last name was Barnum, B-A-R-N-H-A-M. And he called me and he's like, Hey, I'm, I want to do this comedy contest and I want to bring in like special guest host to like close out the show and everything. And I said, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have no problem. He goes, by the way, did you get the last name? I'm like, excuse me. He's like Barnum. Right. I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's right. My great, great, great grandfather was PT Barnum. I'm in the long line of Barnum legacy. (laughs) (laughs) And, 
I'm like, cool, dude. Yep, this is my rate. <laughs> and, just, and I got yeah. paid, and, you know, and he was very glowing about the barbecue restaurant because his selling point was these were the original floors from the Ponderosa that was there. Sure, sure it was. <laughs> yes. So. I mean, it still goes on today. I also just want to mention that there was a certain person in local wrestling that when we all first met him in, I want to say, 2005, he claimed he was The Undertaker's nephew. And, like, it still it still goes on. But, like, a lot of those people, they say that. And, like I said, could they, could it be true? Do you think, like, there's no way someone's going to blatantly lie about that and no one has publicly called them out on it? Because you would think, like, oh, that's easy to prove. But then yet people still tell these lies. And, yeah. and this guy said, oh, they had to it. change the last name due to legal reasons. No, you didn't. Yeah. If you were P- if you were PC Barnes, you'd be still saying you're Barnum with a U. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like Bruce Pritchard told a story. Bruce Pritchard was in Uber in New York, and the guy claimed to be Undertaker's nephew. Yeah, like it's it's a common thing. So so just to kind of set the tone of it, that side story, I, I, I figure you guys enjoy that. Um, so we'll get into it. So what Dale starts doing is he starts basically running uh, spot shows for Vern. Uh, that 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 that's pretty much the job he's doing uh, for Vern. Where in casinos and county fairs and Shriner circuses and, and stuff like that, you know, uh, well, little yeah, like, spot shows. Yeah, and and one thing like that doesn't get mentioned a lot in wrestling history, especially like during the seventies, eighties, that you had the you had the territories, you had like Bill Watts, you had Eddie Graham, you had Vern Gagne, but like those promoters would only promote their big towns. They all had local promoters, all had spot show promoters in all these small towns. Like Eddie Graham ran Tampa, but he also had local people in all these little towns. Vern had local promoters in Winnipeg, in Chicago, in Denver, and their job was to handle everything on the local level, flyer, get in contact with the radio stations, do advertisements. WWE still has that today. Yep. They still have local promoters in certain regions, and that's basically they promote or quote-unquote would hold like a promoter's license if they need one for that state. They would coordinate with TV and radio, set up personal appearances. They might get a hold of like FYE or GameStop and get a WWE superstar up here. Like they still exist. Vern had that back in the day, and he had some – pretty big promoters he had wally carbo and blackjack lanza run uh winnipeg the famous story that blackjack lanza jumped at WWE and stole winnipeg from Vern, and it became WWE town but like, that was the mid 80s Vern's still using local promoters and through the late 80s anyone that listens to eric bischoff knows bischoff did that as well bischoff was a local promoter for a little while running spot shows for Vern, and i think pretty much at that time Vern had a hands-off association with the with what was going on. It was mostly Greg running it, but like Bischoff would go and book the cards and handle everything. And for everything we could tell, Dale did the same thing. Yeah, um, and he actually in, in, in January 1989, uh, there's a uh, a note. Uh, I love the show that you and Wade Keller did on WCCO. So this is actually written to uh, Dave Melter. Um, it was by far the best wrestling-related radio show that I've heard. Uh, Ray Webb, Rob Russin, and Diamond D. Dale Gagner do a weekly rate show in the Twin Cities. 
I like Ray a lot, but the other two have turned into the turned it into the AWA Radio Hour. The listeners usually get pretty pissed at all the AWA stuff, and most of them call in to cut down Vergania and the AWA. Diamond D proceeds to insult our intelligence one week by saying that Burn is perhaps the greatest wrestling promoter of all time. Anything to protect your job, I guess. Jason Powell, Basics, <laughs> but so a man who would work for Wade uh, very famously uh, years yeah. later. But yeah, uh, Dale Gagner was on a weekly call-in radio show, WBTCAM, I believe it was, um, in the late 80s. Um, and also that name, Diamond D, uh, from what we've come to come to discover here, he was actually a heel manager. But he only did it on these spot shows. He never did on TV. There's no actual television yes. footage of it. It's funny you say that because in the article with City Pages, Dale says uh, that he started, he began scheduling Taylor and Ridge Trail and playing them on the day of their shows. He even announced in the ring for ESPN for AWE matches in Las Vegas, he says. I was on camera as the manager, which is the guy that performs but does not wrestle. He says, I had to take what are called bumps, which you know when you have to fall. There's no footage of you managing on ESPN. <laughs> yeah, absolutely so. no footage. Or ring announcing. I don't, I've never seen him ring announce either. I mean, that may be out there, but I've never seen that either. Um, also, too, just a side note, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as Memphis, Tennessee, are, are huge predecessors to what you and I are doing today in the wrestling podcast culture. Wrestling Talk Radio, those two cities were, like, very early on having shows like this. Like, hey, we're going to talk about, like, what's going on in the wrestling world and stuff like that. That wasn't a thing that was very heavy until the late Attitude Era and then into podcasts and all that. Yeah, you basically just had – you had a few here and there. You had John Arezzi in New York, and that was about it. Yeah, so – what they were doing in Minneapolis was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Um, so in March of 89, uh, there's a syndication idea that they're going to do uh, where Donna Gagne, uh, Dale Gagne, are going to do an entertainment tonight type show. And, you know, uh, you get to know the wrestlers and whatnot like that. So, yeah, a lot of these ideas just came up. We find out, like, listen, more of like Greg Gagne shoots and Eric Bischoff comment on Greg Gagne that. Like, AWA was still trying in the late 80s anything they could in syndication. And as we go through this, yeah, we're shitting on Dale Gagner, but Greg and Vern are not 100% innocent in any of this either. They're very, very carny. And we'll get into it a little bit more, too. But, like, some of the carny stuff that they were doing, like, they were trying to get TV and syndication during this time by saying, by claiming that Roddy Piper would be involved in the AWA. Like, right at the time when... Piper was working for WWE. Yeah. They were they were claiming Barry Windham was coming in to their fans when Barry Windham was still actively working the NWA. Like they've done a lot of a lot of bad county stuff. And like something I pointed out to you when I was going through notes where uh all the no shows that the NWA had during this time, the trooper, aka Del Wilkes, aka the Patriots, uh no showed an AWA show. And the announcers came out and claimed his parents both died in a car accident the night before, and that's why Del Wilkes couldn't make the show. Like, that's pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, th- th- and that wasn't, that wasn't just an announcer or a play-by-play guy just making that up. Like, that had to have come from the office. 
one thing that Bischoff mentions multiple times is it was acts of desperation by the Gagne's. It was whatever they yeah. could do. And, you know, I think it all boils down to Dale Gagne. Was, was he someone, Dale Gagner, was he, was he someone who should have ever been in the business? But here's a company that could desperately use any help and loyal help. I mean, Bischoff will even tell you he worked for free for months towards the end there before he went to WCW to be a, to be an announcer. Like, I'm sure he wasn't getting paid a lot, if not much. <laughs> You know, and, and he's and he's being exposed, any, you know, and yeah. he's being exposed to all these ideas of oh, it's okay to advertise a guy and then just no show. The fans are still gonna buy tickets. Like he was exposed and taught at a young age that all this stuff is okay. Now I'm not saying I'm not saying that's an excuse for all the stuff we're getting into, but you could see how he started to get that carny mentality at a very early age in this business. So, and it's funny you should say that because. The, the next thing, you know, uh, well, first off, actually, before we get that, May of 1989, Wahoo McDaniel left the AWA and he went back to the NWA. And Greg Gagne and Dale Gagner are reported to be replacing him as Booker. So, once again, whatever resources you have, you don't have many. You probably, at this point in 89, there was a lot of great bookers out there. But could you afford any of them that were actually going to come in and book for you? No. And then like, also during this time, we realized that, like, uh, Don Morocco – wanted a $500 guarantee to work shows and they refused to give him $500 a show. So he, he no showed iron Sheik wanted, I think, what did I say? 300 yep. a show, I think. And they couldn't, they couldn't guarantee it. So like they were really desperate in, in 89. So like, I could see, I, I saw this more of like maybe Greg is the booker and Dale is just being his coffee boy being more of an assistant on that but still like he's he he's getting more of an increased role in the company because they had nobody else so what he started doing though was he's working for the awa but he starts running awa spot shows without permission or giving any of the money to the awa uh he, 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 uh, yeah, he touted his connections to his customers, according to uh, court documents. Of AWA, uh, now in this article, they say the AWA caught wind of Gagner's dealings, and in January 1990, the company fired him. A few months later, it filed the trademark infringement lawsuit against Gagner in federal court, which we'll go into in a minute. Um, but then if we look at the processing torch from February 1990, where Wade Keller does a torch talk, which is like an extended interview with. Dale, uh, he doesn't say he was fired. He's, uh, Wade asked him, under what circumstances did you leave the American Wrestling Association? Dale said, I gave notice numerous times. I finally decided to move on to newer things and make some changes. I didn't like all the things that were going on in the AWA, and I didn't see how my existence there could change anything for their future. So basically, there's a difference of opinion on how he left the company. But I think it's generally agreed upon that he was running shows without he was running AWA shows without giving the money back to Vernon Gregg and that was why he was fired. Yeah, uh, I mean yeah, it, it's he I mean it's pretty much been a conception that he ran these shows not telling them and this and that. So the 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 next day so he tells in the tourist talk that he goes to work for this theme park, right? Oh, they they got a $5 million project. I'm going to go work for this theme park. 
whatever. He claimed they're going to be the biggest theme park in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, Does and, theme park even still around? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, I will look that up in a minute. But one, and it was, you know, it was going to be based in Hinkley, Minnesota. And one of the things that Keller asked is, what wrestling organization do you plan to promote? And he goes, the first wrestling event will be held the last week of May. It will be the Iron Horse Tournament featuring many top independent wrestlers as possible. There are negotiations now with the NWA and the AWA also. <laughs> I have a certain amount of loyalty for the AWA, even though I am leaving. So if they can provide the kind of promotional package we are looking for, then we will probably be affiliated with them. I think it will probably be an independent show with AWA wrestlers. It will be a major event. We are looking at pay-per-view capabilities locally. We would make it inexpensive enough where we could, uh, where, whether one could buy it for the gimmick of buying it. There isn't an outlet to develop issues, so we'll have to get people to buy it who aren't accustomed to bury, buying pay-per-view. We we can't, um, sorry, we can't go to Viewer's Choice because they don't see value in a local pay-per-view. <laughs> There was no local pay-per-views in 1989. No. Like, this was not an idea. Like, and so in uh, March of 1990, this is he's calling it the American Wrestling League. And by the way, I love in the tourist shock, he says, oh, the AWA is probably going to help us out. <laughs> no, you just stole money from them. They're not helping you out. So... The American Wrestling League, this new group based out of Mi Mission Creek Theme Park. Oh, go figure. So he wasn't really working for the theme park. He told the theme park he can give them wrestling shows. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, he told them, like, I can get you AWA, I can get you all this. And they believed him and threw him, threw him money. Yeah. So the, the and, and, and by the way, I don't believe it's still in existence unless, like, maybe they were bought out and changed like the name. Like Six like, Flags or something like that. But there's, like, nothing service. Uh... Yeah, I, I believe they probably either closed or sold off or whatever. But I, it's not its not like their associates with the AWA bankrupt them, hopefully not. So uh, looking at it, they promoted uh, Derek Dukes, Ricky Rice, Johnny Stewart, Johnny V. Uh, and Alan Eppenstein was supposedly the head promoter uh, with Ray Reb being a road agent. Um, but this group has a lot of ideas and the awesome money backing in it. Del Gagner, uh, you know, the president of entertainment and operations told this. So he's apparently the president of entertainment and operations <laughs> for the Mission Creek theme park. We cannot compete wrestling wise or star wise with the top groups, but we can compete product wise. Look for every show to have a sound light and video package spicing its ambience. Um, so, and he also, too, like, they they toured, apparently we're going to tour Upper Minnesota called the Budweiser Superstars of Pro Wrestling. Uh, and they, they were going, they were promoting uh, Sergeant Slaughter for that, which on July 4th, which I don't think that ever happens. But uh, on April 19th of 1990, so now this company is promoting these big things, March 22nd, 1990, April 19th. Uh, Scott Norton has quit the group after not being put on enough of the shows has returned the AWA. The AWL has booked shows in Je Jefferson, Wisconsin and Sleepy Eye, Minnesota this week. May 5th is booked for Los Venos, California <laughs> with a $10,000 guarantee. Alan Epstein has booked three dates for AWL on May 11th, 12th, and 13th in Illinois. The AWL will be in Spicer, Minnesota on May 30th and debut in their home base, Mission Creek. 1894 so uh for their tv taping uh, for duluth tv on may 17th so this wrestling company 
which was basically owned by a theme park, decided to tour <laughs> other cities, including California, before having their debut TV taping in the theme park. <laughs> yeah, a lot of red flags here. And by the way, uh, I don't, from what I see, uh, Hinkley, Minnesota, I don't see a theme park. But I see they've got a casino, they have an RV park, they've got some, they got a golf course, they have a White Castle, so they're doing they're doing well. They're doing well without Stale Gagner. Oh, yeah. Um. So now we have there's a big feud in the Midwest between Dale Gagner's AWL and the AWL. I love how now Meltzer's is, we know this is Dale Gagner's thing. This isn't Epstein. This isn't Ray Webb. This is Del Gagner. Yeah. Uh, Gagner managed to get a lot of the guys on his side in the feud when the promised 10 shows already booked, but many of them have already canceled. <laughs> Meanwhile, Vern Gagne reportedly filing suit against Del Gagner for using the AWA name and some of the uh, Gagne's wrestlers on independent shows. Uh, Gagner is reportedly filing a countersuit. I, I feel like that lawsuit wouldn't have gone anywhere because, all right, Gagner's trying to book 10 shows at Fowles. Vern says, they're under contract to me, but he's not running shows either. No. So, so May, May is a very interesting month, and we're going to uh, hear it May 1990. So um, so first, we'll, we'll, this is from The Torch. Uh, the first Hinkley TV taping at the Mission Creek theme park is coming on April 28th called Clash of the Creek with Coquina, Sheik, the Fantastics, Duke, Rice, Jammer, Cameron, and De Beers, which was pretty much the AWA roster at that time. Yeah. Uh, the AWL has lost Johnny Stewart and Scott Norton, though, to the AWA. Um, remember Johnny Stewart for later in the story. The AWA is upset that the AWL is using AWA talent and taking advantage of their TV exposure. They, the AWL claims wrestlers are free agents. A decision will be made May 11th with the worst outcome of the AWL uh, being it will not be able to use AWA contracted talent such as De Beers and Coquina. Briefly, the controversial Sleepy Eye show on May 21st was an AWA show, not an AWL show. Del Gagne might have been working ringside as a manager again soon. The AWL, which has actually been calling itself Superstars of Wrestling on Tour, remember that name, is working very closely uh, with the PWA. This group has had eight dates so far with attendance ranging from 380 to 720. What is going on? <laughs> so he then just decides to call the Sleepy Eye show an AWA show. So yeah, what it seems like like AWA is crumbling. And I think like Vern and Greg, when I say Vern and Greg, probably mostly Greg. Greg, yes. Uh realize like w- the enemy of our enemy is our friend. And working with Dale just to just to further along the AWA is probably the better idea, even though he's kind of a con artist. Yeah. So as we see, he just basically the AWA and AWL kind of start co-promoting shows, I guess you would say. Or Gagner starts running AWA shows. That That's what it looks to be. Um. On May 14th, uh, Dale Gagner's AW... I don't get this California show. Ran a show on May 4th in Los Banos, California. Vern has sued Dale Gagne and Ray Webb over promoting a card using the AWA name. 
The end result is that Gagner and Webb will probably won't be able to use the AWA wrestlers on a contract to earn on area independent shows as they have in the past. Now, for the city pages, uh, in May 1990, the court issued a temporary injunction banning Gagner from using the AWA name. It turned out to be one of the final swings Vergani would take in the rapidly changing wrestling industry. So, he, he, they sue him. <laughs> they, 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 they sue him right there. Like they said, stop using AWA name. Here's the lawsuit. Which, that lawsuit could have been just stop using contracted talent, but, you yeah. know. But yeah, there's the lawsuit there. So from from what I believe, I think like Ray Webby took most of the heat for that, and Dale probably, as you can see, like Dale made up with him. But Ray Webby really pre- pretty much had nothing else to do with that with them going forward. So then, in after a lawsuit has happened, because once again, acts of desperation in June 14, nineteen ninety, a AW- month later, yeah, a month later, the AWA has decided to work with Dale Gagner and Eddie Sharkey. Two uh, rival. Well, Eddie Sharker was a rival of Vern's uh, on the June 17th mission. Did he pull a gun on Vern? Yes. The degree events, which Eddie Sharker's Pro Wrestling America is an episode we could have in the future. <laughs> mission Creek event, on which is a close to waving a white flag as they can get. Larry Sabisco will defend AWA World Title against DJ Peterson, Wayne Bloom, and Larry Cameron will battle John Norton, Scott Norton, Derek Dukes versus The Sheik, uh, Shane Douglas versus Ricky Rice, and the new kids in Jerry Lynn versus Maximum Overdrive, and Tommy Drammer will also be on the card. Oh. Yeah, and uh, it's ironic that just weeks ago the AWA was suing Dale Gagner <laughs> for using AWA talent on its show. This acts of desperation. So, and then that is... That's the end of the AWA, pretty much. I mean, te- they were technically a business into 1991, but that is kind of the end. Yeah, of, they were they were that. still limping along, doing TV tapings. Uh, they had a deal with ESPN. I think ESPN was paying them like five grand a week or something. Uh, I don't know how that actually relates to like going what the going rate at that time was if that was on the high end the low end of tv at that time but it was at least enough to keep the company afloat but then they lost the espn slot in early 91 zvisco left to go to wcw and it was pretty much it one of the things too before we get into more of dale's history post awa is when Keller in this tour shock in 1990 asked him, uh, how do you look back in your days in the Billy Jack's Oregon promotion? There is nothing of record of this, of Dale working for Billy Jack Haynes. But he does say, uh, if you want to talk about someone strange, you can talk about Billy Jack. He was the weirdest person I've been around in my life, and I've been around some weird people. He was a very big egomaniac, and the time I was there, I saw a guy who seemed to have everything end up with nothing. I sweat to God that I'm going to write a book. Remember that. <laughs> Not on exposing the business, but use wrestling as a focal point to discover how psychotic some of these people are. There was there was a brief little thing about the PWA about like working with Pacific Northwest uh wrestling during this AWL stuff, but like not a lot there's not a lot out there. I don't feel like he was like Billy Jack Haynes right hand man or anything like that. Like, no. And I'm sure that's what he would, you know, which Portland is very, is a lot like Minnesota. <laughs> like Billy yeah, Jack Haynes is a lot like Dale Gagner. <laughs> yes. Um, 
just to kind of revisit the torch talk there, you did bring up the point where he said Vern was pretty much hands off at that point. He, but he also didn't see Greg really running the AWA fully when it was done. So, I mean, yeah, as much as we're going to give Dale crap as this goes on, like he knew it was the end. He was smart to get out. He was just, he was just trying to make some money at the end there. Cause yeah. And yeah, the Vern thing, there's a, uh, a famous story of where Vern, Vern never watched AWA on ESPN cause he never had cable. And I believe that I believe like by like the mid the mid eighties, he really didn't know most of the talent that was even being booked on the AWA shows. So he was pretty much hands off by like eighty six at that point. I'm sure like he went to the office here and there and like knew some of the old timers, but for the most part it seems like he's he was hands off and and it was Greg and the rest of the office handling it. And after that, most of the 90s are going to be quiet for Dale. Um, we'll, I mean, the later 90s get a little busy, but uh, in 92, uh, a federal judge issued a permanent injunction against Gagner. Uh, the upstart promoter of the court ruled could never use, never again claim that he was associated with the AWA. And so, and that, so if that comes up, that means like Vernon Gregg are still suing him they still are dealing with him and they still own the trademarks in 92 after the business is closed after bankruptcy has been filed a federal judge wouldn't grant him that if they didn't own the trademarks yeah um on january 10 1992 gal gag del gagner will be running county fair show, county fair shows under the name northwest superstars of wrestling uh on tour in minnesota wisconsin and michigan this summer so he, that's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. And he knows, okay, maybe I lost, you know, and he's not using the AWA name. Um, forward a little bit here to, because we don't have much before 1996 here, I don't think, here with him. Um, I mean, if he's just out there running county fair shows, like that could be lucrative. Like if he's doing that for the first few years after AWA folded. That's a, that could be a pretty good living. Yeah, I wonder, and, and and that's the thing. Like he and he could have done that to the end. He did never had to get into what he got into. You know, maybe, you know. I mean, I think like you know some of the money he probably made right away was was probably really really good. But I, I just feel like he didn't have to do you know what what he did in, yeah. which we're, which 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 we'll get into but there's no reason why he couldn't have been making 20 30 grand per show on these on these county fair shows like in the 90s uh that was a that was a big thing for former WWE guys former NWA AWA guys from the 80s they still had name value and you could run county fairs and command high money for it now uh in 1996, uh, we, we do have some new news and notes going on that that time period. Uh, in May 27, 1996, uh, the American Wrestling Association, with its old insignia, and Vern Gagne as president, is reforming with the first show on July 13th in Rochester, Minnesota. The only photos of this poster of the first show are Tom Zink and Baron Von Raschke, who would be 55 years old now, even although he looked 55 when he was 40, according to Dave. Uh, uh, besides Gagne, the office will be VP Dal Gagner, road agent Eddie Sharkey, CFO Robert Boudot, and promoter Tom Showalter. 
Uh, amazing to see Gandhi and Sharky on the same team, but this is pro wrestling. Uh, I, I I would assume Vern had no idea about this. Yes. I think it was just, he was just like a figurehead. Like, oh, and he'll be the commissioner. Um, was was Greg still working for WCW at this point? I think he was fired. Okay. Or, or around this time he was fired. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe he was still there. I, think I don't remember maybe. the exact timeline. I know, like... We just listened to Bischoff talk about that, and I don't remember the exact timeline that Bischoff said. Late ninety six, ninety seven, maybe. I don't. Yeah. I mean, according to Greg, he he came up with the NWO. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, he he was the head booker. Yes. He yeah. he signed Hogan. Live, they had to go live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He he told Ted Turner that Nitro had to go live. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, uh, yeah. Greg Gagne's shoot interviews uh, don't don't seem factual, but hey. <laughs> Eric Bischoff countering Greg Gagne's shoot interviews is it's it very was, entertaining. Yeah. Um. So on July first, nineteen ninety six, here's the latest on the AWA revival. Del Gagner first listed a show on August tenth in Rochester, Minnesota, as part of the AWA saying that Ken Patera, Kenny J, Buck Zumoff. Nick Bockwinkle, Sheikah Don Casey, Johnny Valiant, and Vert Gagne would be there. Gagne, after being contacted by local media, said he had no knowledge of any such show. <laughs> and that he wasn't involved in the show and had no intention of being back in wrestling. G- Gagner, who claims in a press release to be the nephew of Vern, said that Vern's name will be removed from all publicity material and that the group will now be called the new AWA. So that kind of proved right there that Vern had no clue what was going on. No idea. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's like, can we, how the audacity of Dale Gagner. And, and, and that will be a theme as we go on. Yeah. And I think that was the first this guy actual. This you. Yeah. You lost. I think that's the first actual mention in summer of 96 of him being related. Yes. And I think that, was, and I think it was at the point where. I mean, Vern, this show has been promoted Vern's name for months, and he had no idea. So I'm sure, like, if Meltzer even reached out to Vern, hey, is this your nephew? Like I said, Vern wasn't never, following wrestling, and he wasn't he wasn't reading the dirt sheets. He wasn't reading newspapers. He wasn't watching wrestling. He had no clue. He was – so, like, Vern could be advertised for all these shows. He had no clue. And uh, so in July 22nd, 1996, the return of the AWA, basically Dale Gaynor – using the name to promote shows, but with no involvement of the Gagne's on July 8th in Rochester, Minnesota, end up being a three-match show with Nails versus Charlie Norris on top. Johnny Stewart became the new AWA heavyweight champion, beating Twin Turbo in a match to determine the champ. Uh, and the exact results for that show are Sam Houston beat J.B. Trask, uh, Johnny Stewart beat Tur- Twin Turbo, and then Nails uh, defeated by disqualification. Oh, no, or, double DQ. Or double, double disqualification. Charlie Norris, and they drew six hundred and fifty people. I don't. I, I think that's a little. Uh, that number probably is a little bit. But inflated, it's July ninety six. It's July ninety six. You're off the heels. I mean, of the Hogan heel turn, business is starting to pick up. Not where it would be in a couple years later. I mean, I don't think it was just a wrestling show though. I think it was probably one of those. Like, it was like on a casino or something like that. Yeah, you only have three matches. Yeah, there, there had to be something else. Or, unless, like, 
it's it's Dale Gagner, so he could have. Well, he could have lied about the number. I mean, but no, he could have lied. He could have he could have lied to whoever the show was being held. Like he he could have said like, oh yeah, I'll give you a full card and only only book six wrestlers and probably one referee, and he probably bring announced himself, <laughs> and probably got some from some kids to do the ring for free. So like he probably saw it as I'm going to bank as much money as possible off this. My my assumption, being around Shindy Wrestling for two decades, like I, that's my feeling on that. And it, 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 it's just crazy, like that that he would start doing this stuff because this stuff wouldn't be really popular in wrestling. And I mean popular, I mean like you hear horror stories of independent wrestling promoters doing this really till the late nineties, early two thousands. So he was a he was a pioneer. <laughs> what scamming, scamming people? <laughs> he was a pioneer. I mean, there was a, you hear stories, but he was definitely a pioneer. In I think Roy Welch invented <laughs> scamming maybe, people yeah. 120 years ago. Um, now, in 1986, this new AWA. It was also called. He ended up calling it AWA Superstars of Wrestling. Um, and this actually, uh, academic.com has got a pretty nice timeline of this. And he re- he was reviving, so listen to this. He revived several classic AWA titles, claiming not just the title lineages and names, but control over the title histories. However, as noted, um, you know, he would be sued years later, which we're going to, but he had the AWA Superstars World Heavyweight Championship, World Light Heavyweight Championship, World Tag Team Championship, International Heavyweight Championship, and the Fighting World Championship. Uh, which would be those titles he would go, he would start uh, promoting up. But that's 1996, and then we don't hear anything until 1998, uh, where Del Gagner of the American Wrestling Association is looking for talent for upcoming shows. Interesting parties should forward a bio, photos, and a phone number to Gagner at 4739 14th Avenue Northwest, Apartment 4, Rochester, Minnesota, or call 507 281 Eight eight four two. I wonder if that's still his number. You just call me, hey Dale. <laughs> Live exclusive right here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we get to nineteen ninety nine, uh, and February first, nineteen ninety nine. Now remember, wrestling is hot right now. We're mm-hmm. in Monday Night Wars. We're in the Attitude Era. Like, oh, this is the time everyone's drawing. Indies are hot. I did forget there is a random AWA show in '98 that the Observer doesn't cover, but it's on Cage Match. Oh. It's AWA versus WWA Clash of Champions at Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because let's just use two dead brands, <laughs> um, and it had uh, Deputy Dog versus the Russian Brute, Quicksilver versus Ray Orndorff, an AWA World Heavyweight Title match where Johnny Stewart defeated Bobo Brazil Jr., uh, Spike Huber <laughs> defeated Ronnie Vegas. Uh, two people that no one had no idea who they were because they're they're just question mark question mark to beat of well, versus heaven and hell in a double pin, and then in the world WWE World Heavyweight Title match, the Golden Lion defeated Lanny Poffo. The Golden Lion would be Dick the Bruiser Junior. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, that's uh. That seems like an AWWL card from Ella Ed Farhats. That's what that card seems like. Um, But yeah, so I wanted to, I saw that and I had to mention it. How much, like, Dale, I don't know, but that intrigued me when I saw that card. 
Um, so February first, nineteen ninety nine. Yes, like you said, the wrestling business is at an all time high. Uh, Dale Dale Gagner is running his first show under the AWA banner. He had to file to use the name since Vern Gagne hasn't used it in years. But legal battles with Gagne hold up starting for a while, and his first show will be at a casino in on April twenty third in Bullhead City, Arizona. Now. The AWA was a Minnesota brand. Why did he think? Oh, Arizona, California. Like, I don't understand. Like, it didn't have this national exposure or reach that he thought it did. And that all these promoters that he suckered in years later thought it did. No, like, all I could think of is maybe he had a connection to a casino or he just started calling around as many casinos as he could to sell them on an idea for a sold show. And this was the first one they actually bit. Um, on February 2nd, nine, or February 22nd, I'm sorry, 1999, uh, Vern Gagne and Del Gagner, who dropped the R from his last name and is go- now going by Del Gagne. So that's where it starts officially, officially starts in 99, are involved in a legal dispute over the AWA name. Gagner is claiming that when Gagne went bankrupt, he f- failed to keep his trademark current. Gagne also claimed that Gagner was misrepresenting himself as a family relative. <laughs> Gagner claims that studying the Gagne heirloom both took that both men are very distant cousins that were related. Yeah, he's just making shit up. Oh, yeah, you're my cousin. You have to be. But also, like, he's saying there that uh, Vern failed to keep the trademark current. But in other articles, he claimed that he bought it out of bankruptcy court or he paid Vern and Greg for it. Like, there's a lot of misrepresentation going on here throughout the 90s with him. I, he, he's just, I, I think he's just like, oh, I can do this. He does it. Vern sues him. He goes away. I can do this. He does it. Vern sues him. He goes away. That seems to be the theme of the late 90s with him because he does it in 96. He does it in 98. Now, we don't know Vern sues him. He tried in 92. But I'm sure he tried in 92. <laughs> uh, and now it's happening in 99. Now, I think he just, yeah, he gets, keeps trying every few years, thinking, I'm going to try this slowly and try to get away with it. Enough time has passed. And Vern and Greg see it and, like, nope. But once again, it's the late 90s. Like you said, wrestling's hot. You don't have to be the AWA. Just start your own brand, man. Like, just be your own company. This is not needed. Yeah. It was not, like, I, I love the AWA. Don't get me wrong. I watch a lot of that cool stuff. I, the ESPN shows where the young rockers and Vader and all that stuff's really awesome. But it it meant nothing in 1999 in the aspect of like it, it you could have put live wrestling show or AWA live wrestling show and you were going to draw the same yeah. crowd. It was just wrestling in 99. People wanted to see it. Like wrestling, even to, to this day and all throughout the 2000s, 2010s, like nostalgia, wrestling nostalgia can draw on the indie level. You don't need the name. I remember a uh, a local promoter up here that used to use the NWA name. He uh, he had a dispute with the NWA right before Corgan bought it, switched his company name, and just dropped it. Didn't hurt him at all. No. And he said, like, nobody, nobody cares about that. They just care. Like, if you're going to bring in a name, bring in a name. Like, the name doesn't mean anything yeah, when it comes right down to it. It's booked on the show. Yeah. That, that's really what it comes down to it. Um, 
Dell Gagner's AWA. Now, this is from March 29, 1999. Dell Gagner's AWA ran March 13th in Deadwood, South Dakota. Probably the coolest place to have a wrestling show. Uh, but that's at least that's at least in the AWA territory. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, I've, I'm I've, sure they ran some spot so. shows in South Dakota. Uh, yeah, well, no, and that, that, that makes sense. With newspaper and TV ads listing such names as The Oddities, The Brood, the Hart Foundation, led by the world-famous Tony Hart, and Doink the Clown. A newspaper ad for the show called it the WWF and AWA Superstars present Shotgun Saturday Nights. The TV spot shows clipped a... Fl- no, 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 my, no. Wait, TV spot. Does <laughs> Deadwood, South Dakota have their own TV station? <laughs> but the TV spots show clips of Flair, Sabisco, Slaughter, and Bischoff. The show drew 450 fans. They had a Golga. Billed as being from the WWF, but he was 5'10". A guy named Turbo was announced as being a WWF star. A guy named Samson was being announced as a member of the DOA in the WWF. Deadwood has 1,300 residents. The, I... I don't even know what they're close. Nothing, they don't have a TV station. They don't have an NBC or CBS or ABC affiliates, from what I can tell. So, like, local TV is probably just like the local cable station in town where you can you can buy a commercial on the local TV station for that. The, the only other thing I think of was he bought ads in Bismarck, maybe. I don't know. In, in the new, local newspaper, too. But, like, yeah. But... In all honesty, yeah, like... you want to touch this, I'll, like, there's, there's so much right here. But in, in all honesty, like... This isn't out of the ordinary for county promoters back in the day, especially these small towns. Like when I, but this is absurd, Ash. Oh no, it is. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not defending it. Alleg- I'm not. Def- <laughs> oh wait, they're 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 close to Sturgis, actually. So, oh. um, no, I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's not outrageous. I'm just saying like this is par for the course. Like why broke in? It was commonplace before the internet that promoters would. Be very creative in how they promote shows because all it was was local promotion. And really, if it wasn't for someone sending this in to the to the observer, no one would know. Like, how many of these shows did Ganya promote in these small towns that he was promoting flair that didn't show up? Because no one would know outside of that small town because it was just local advertisement. So there's so much here. First off, the oddities are going to be there. The brood is going to be there. Now, the oddities at that point, maybe some of them may have been free agents, but it's it's just absurd. The brood, I mean, Gangrel, Edge, and Christian were way under WWE contract at the time. The Hart Foundation led by Tony Hart. There is a million hearts. <laughs> yeah. And you couldn't even get a real one. You couldn't even get Smith. You couldn't get Smith <laughs> to come in. You couldn't get Ross, Bruce, like... You had to make up a heart. You had to make up a heart. Tony Hart. And the hearts weren't <laughs> even big in the AWA territory. Like, uh, And then Doink the Claw, which is the most normal thing on this, a fake Doink. And then it's going to be WWF and AWA superstars right there. First off, we talk, this whole episode is about him using the AWA name. Yeah. But he's using the WWF name. But then he's also calling it Shotgun Saturday Nights, now, which now, is a syndicated show at that time. Now, in his defense, uh, 
WWE did allow third-party bookings at this time. And it's supposedly, supposedly they did work with him throughout the 90s uh, to actually... He actually worked with WWE to bring in some of these some of these guys. Like, not these guys listed, but he booked some low-car guys. Basically, third-party bookings. I think we talked about it in a previous episode where if you ran a, a promotion and you were like Dennis Carluzzo, if you were... Killer Kowalski, if you were a reputable like ECWA, if you were a reputable promoter, you could book WB talent on their off days through WB office. Yeah. Like Gagner did book some WB guys throughout the nineties through that deal. This show, I seriously doubt that this was that he, he had this plan. He thought it was South Dakota, no one really checked. Um, Actually, they're they're almost five hours from Sturgis, so when I zoomed out, they are in the middle of nowhere. Um, but then, so then you promote WWF, but then you show clips of WCW guys other than Slaughter, and then, like, the fake Olga, like nobody else was doing that. Doinks, whatever. Plus, he's a five for ten guy. <laughs> but fake Olgas, like, uh, and then you you say, oh, this guy Turbo was in the WWF. I mean. These people had WWF television. Uh, yeah, ca- like if they didn't have cable in Deadwood, they at least had some kind of syndication. syndication. Yeah. They would have had satellites. Like uh, Prime Star was around that time. Like Dish Network was just starting. DirecTV. Like there, people had. And you made had up a member of a very blah faction of the DOA. Like it wasn't like the it wasn't like hey this guy's in the NWO. Like oh no, so, and then this guy's in the DOA. <laughs> So just looking up, uh, WWE ran a house show in Las Vegas on that day. Oh, that? Yes. <laughs> so uh, the Brood, Edge and Gangrel, worked a tag match against Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor. So no Christian, so maybe Christian <laughs> could have worked this. You basically you had Goldust and the Blue Meanie against the Acolytes. You had Hardcore Ali against Al Snow, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart against Triple H and X Pac, Bossman against Undertaker, Steve Blackman against Test, D'Lo Brown and Ivory against Luna and the Godfather. You had uh and then Mankind and Steve Austin versus Kane and the Rock. So technically, like the brood you had two out of the three members of the brood. You didn't have the oddities for the most part. Like Luna. Mm. So, plausible deniability, I guess? Uh, I mean, yes. But... I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not making it sound like we believe that all these, that Ganya had these books. Like, he was totally full of shit. No, yeah. But still. I mean, it's just, the, the like, if I feel like WWF would have saw that there were, he was calling it WWF Presents Shotgun Center. And he'd be like, well, what are you doing here? Yeah, again, he's running in the middle of nowhere. No one's no one caught this. And by the time, like, this was, it was it happened at 3.13. It wasn't reported into the uh, into the Observer in, for two weeks later. Yeah. So, like, it was beyond that. Now, I, I'm excited to tell you what actually happened on that show. Uh, it drew 4.50, uh, according to... To report, uh, and it was Golga, not the original, beating Big Time, which I am to the belief, and I couldn't find it, that this was Big Time James Duck. Oh, who, James Duck, <laughs> who who uh, tried to mess around locally with us, uh, trying to go after a uh, wrestler who was 
named Big Time Bill Collier, claiming he owned the rights to Big Time, and that even Phil Collins. No, James or, James Duck tried to sue WWE for using Big Time for WrestleMania and claimed he got an injunction, but I no, no it never happened. That. No, that he claimed he owned the the name Big Time in all pro wrestling. Which, if you listen to Bruce Prichard, when they buy the rights to those songs, it's only for that time period. Like Highway to Hell and stuff like that. So yeah. they bought big time for that. They it's not on the network because they don't own the rights to continue to use that. It has nothing to do with James Duck. But I can't, I don't have a hundred percent true. Because James Duck will go after YouTube videos or anything <laughs> wrestling that says big time. Yeah, like even to this day. Well, he he did until he still works shindy shows. Like I still pop up. He, he tries to be on radio shows and stuff. Until I think I think Bill Collier said like we can settle this like. <laughs> Meet me at a show, and then James Duck stopped sending us cease and desist using big time Bill Collier. Yeah, and and but I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is him. Like just uh, that time period. I uh, mean, it's very well. I'm just gonna say it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, then we also had Jesters, the Jesters beating Caddy and Sacrifice, Golden Lion, Dick the Bruiser Jr. Uh, beating Pitbull, not that Pitbull, uh, or those Pitbulls, <laughs> Bobo Brazil Jr. <laughs> Beating Ronnie Vegas, Turbo beating Samson, and Johnny Stewart beating Doink the Clown. A lot so, of one-word names here. The only things that he delivered on was Golga and Doink the Clown. <laughs> Did we ever figure out what Doink this was? I don't know. I'm. I know. As years go on, it's one of the Ballard brothers. When he was booking the Ballard brothers for yeah. stuff, I'm pretty sure he was using one of the Ballard brothers. I don't know who was doing. I do know his patriot was Danny Dominion, which we'll talk about. But I don't know who was his doink. I mean, at this I mean, time in the mid '90s, a lot of the indie doinks were actual doinks that played him on TV. This could have been Dusty Wolf, though. This is his area. Okay. This could have been Dusty Wolf. I mean, that makes sense off the code. Dusty Wolf bases Central States area, so yeah. This could have been Dusty Wolf, which yeah. he was the original fake fake doink on the indies. So yeah, this was before the time frame of people realized that they could just buy, they could just have a, their own gear made and just and just put some base paint on and boom, you're yeah. good to go. Um, uh, and then once again, that happens. We got nothing else for the rest of 1999, which which begs the different, but begs the question. Like, I think he was running shows. Yeah. Just in like the Dakotas, this Montana, may have been like a tour or something. Like yeah, that. he's running these small towns that no one ever heard of, and there's no actual results from because, because again, like it, he doesn't publicize it. Well, on January 31st, 2000, Dale Gangner's AWA will be touring Colombia and Venezuela from March 6th to March 11th. We have absolutely nothing of that on record. There when I first saw Colombia, I'm like, Colombia, South Carolina, and then it says Venezuela. Oh, oh okay. He's going to do a South American tour. Now, would he? Now, I wanted to get into this because the, 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 this is very interesting. So, this is from the city pages, right? Um, we're, we'll go back a little bit to 1999. Uh, on February 99, he set a press release to independent wrestling promoters across the United States and Canada. He announced big news the legendary AWA was making a comeback. He signed with his new last name, uh, Gagne. I met with Gagne because obviously it gave me the ability to walk, or I went with Gagne because it gave me the ability to walk right into the business. Basically, he admits. So he knows I changed my name because it was going to help me. Um, he filed papers with the state to do business as AWA Superstars of Wrestling. He told potential clients that he bought the AWA trademark out of Vern Gagne's bankruptcy proceedings. 
By this time, Gagner had racked up a criminal record. He pleaded guilty to stealing jewelry from an employer, to writing bad checks, and to taking money that was supposed to go to acts that he booked for the Isaka County Fair. He had a felony theft by swindle on his record, plus multiple smaller convictions. Why is anyone doing business with this man? Um, so that right there tells me, like, some of these shows, like the the one where the three-match card, he probably said, I can get you eight matches or whatever yeah. and just and embezzle the money. These were the local guys that would work cheap, yeah. Yeah. For, for Gagner, building business was a personal triumph, much as a professional come, comeback. By the time he launched the AWA Superstars, he had been through alcohol treatment, he says, and he was sober again. So what he does in this City Pages article is he blames a lot of him doing these things on drugs and alcohol. Like, that's his big theme. Which, yes. Do drugs and alcohol change people? Absolutely. But there's a certain point where, come on, man. You, you ripped people off. Stealing jewelry, like writing writing fake checks. Like, yeah, that that's a spur of the moment. I need money for for alcohol, for drugs. Yeah. For running, coming up with business plans to swindle promoters and wrestlers and money marks. Like, no. Like, you your addictions did not cause that like it might have amplified it yeah but that was that was you just being a scumbag um every successful business needs a good website so gagner recorded a young canadian wrestling fan named jimmy james jimmy van vanderlinden uh the kid did all kinds of creative work for gagner web design programs revamped the awa logo at first vanderlinden was wowed by gagner's ability to put shows together Albit fading the stars of AWA like legends like Sherry Martell and the Iron Sheik. But over a year and a half of working with Gagner, Vanderlyn's positive impression of the wrestling promoter uh, disintegrated. Uh, once he landed in Laughlin, Nevada for an AWA event that he promoted on the website and was surprised to learn that posters for the show advertised Mankind, a popular... So this is what you're saying. There was other shows. They're just not a popular... WF character played by McFoley. Gagner is ne- had never mentioned Foley, but the crowd was clearly drawn in with the promise Mankind had won the WF Championship three times. The ring announcer broke the bad news. He had missed his fl- Foley and missed his flight. The crowd was so upset that Vanderlyn and feared they would riot. When the web designer pressed Gagner about it, Gagner said someone he trusted had booked Foley and then not come through. Then he stopped paying Vanderlinden. Um, by October 2000, Gagner had racked up $4,700 debt to his web designer. Uh, Vanderlyn says he confronted him, and in response, Gagner locked him out of the website and blocked his emails. Uh, Vanderlyn went on to become a wrestling promoter himself. He wrote about a book about the business, Wrestling's Underbelly, from bingo halls to shopping malls. In that, he dedicated an entire chapter to exposing his exploits. He is now Jimmy Van from Fightful.com. <laughs> where Sean Rossat works for in a very prominent uh, wrestling news uh, website uh, in today's world, which I, I found it interesting. Um, did try to get that book before we had a show. It is only in paper copy. It is not on digital. So uh, go read it. We're, I'm definitely going to pick it up uh, soon uh, and just to read it because, I mean, all these stories and then somebody that, you know, that was there, uh, you know. Now, he does... One thing that Gagner does is he tries to counter what Vanderlinden said. He said that uh, we found out that Mick Foley wasn't going to be there. Uh, we found out on the morning of the show. <laughs> he explains, it was my choice not to make an announcement until the show started. In any case, uh, you know, uh, Gagner had bigger problems, namely impending bankruptcy, where he owed 
$181 and he couldn't pay. So in 2000, he's $36,000 in a hole. Now, I don't understand his picking and choosing. He admits in this interview about his drug addiction and stealing jewelry, and then he did use the AWNA when he shouldn't. But, you, dude, you never had McFoley booked. It was 1999. It was 2000. Like, you weren't getting McFoley. He wasn't even really working. Because he, like... Yeah, he was retired by that. Well, Foley, Foley was still doing third-party bookings even after he won the title on his days off. He'd go work IW Mid-South. So it's entirely plausible. But the thing, like, Foley doesn't no-show. Foley doesn't miss no. flights. Like, he would have been there. But, and again, also by, I believe by, like, mid to late 99 after he had his knee surgery, like, he cut out the third-party bookings. Like, he might have, as we see later, a few years later, like, he's doing referee work he's doing referee spots when he was doing the ring of honor stuff yeah and the ballpark brawl stuff which we talked about and all that yeah but he's he didn't he didn't know show a show here like no no that that, that's 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 not not what he does um all right here so but but now back to so now um now we're kind of getting the nitty-gritty where he really starts using the brand as far as hey you know here you go so first off in 2002 uh he which he claims he was drunk almost every day then he started getting the prescription medications he was busy promoting his version of awa uh the king of wrestling was also interested in the brand's cachet vincent man jr had set his sights on requiring the last remnants of Berengani's awa empire the historical footage and it's and it's wrestling matches at awa trademark so he knows in 2002 which this matches up with jim ross yeah, because Jim Ross says they were planning the network in two thousand one, two thousand two. That Vern, that I mean, that Vince was looking to purchase that. Like, what? Why get yourself? In oh no, this... purchasing the WCW Crockett videotape library, the ECW a- videotape a- library a- in two thousand one. That was a that was a main that was a main uh, main aspect of them they were really working on. So yeah, they were they had their sights set on AWA. Why wouldn't you at that point? So, in 2002, there's a couple AWA superstars of wrestling shows listed on Cage Match. There is on, uh, let's see here, on May 5th, 2002, uh, I'm sorry, May se- I'm sorry, yeah, May 2nd, 2002, I apologize. May 2nd, 2002, it's in Cottonwood, Arizona, okay? And it's Sin defeated the hardcore kid, Mike Knox, that Mike Knox. <laughs> Defeated Johnny Stewart, uh, an AWA World Heavyweight title where Danny Dominion defeated Evan Courageous, who apparently was the AWA Heavyweight Champ, which we'll get into. <laughs> I'll look at that cage match lineage in a minute. Um, Adara James defeated Eric, Erica Derrico. And then you had an AWA World Tag Team title bout where Native Blood, Navajo Warrior, and Shooting Wolf defeated the Ballard Brothers, Shane ba- Ballard and Shannon Ballard. And then the Patriot defeated Kimchi. Um, and one other thing we have from that is two days later at an Indian gaming casino in Lemoore, California, it was called the Palace Indian Gaming Casino, uh, Shannon Baylor defeated Navajo Warrior, Devin Willis defeated Sonny Suave, the Patriot defeated Kim Chi, Conan with Tigress defeated El Conquistador, a fake conquistador. Oh, we would never see that again, unfortunately. Uh, Tito Santana defeated Johnny Stewart. And then Evan Courageous defeated Danny Dominion to re-win the AWA heavyweight title. And then a singles match with special referee Taylor Matheny, uh, Chris Harvard, Chris Nowinski, 
defeated Josh Matthews. So this is right off of, of, of yeah, with Taylor in there too. Like, yep. Yeah, that's right off of tough enough. And then in the main event, Hoover to Guerrero defeated Eric Priest. Okay then. Okay. Um, so what I've noticed is he was running a lot of shows, but if you look on Cage Match, a lot of their affiliates, but his stuff will pop up here and there. And I never got Arizona. Like in California, like he no, because he was session. doing a yeah, he was doing a few here because he did one in Tucson a little a few years later, um, yeah. But the whole idea of the affiliate thing, I feel like he got he got that idea from the NWA because that's how the NWA has survived. Like when we talked about it during the NWA our NWA episode in the nineties, like that's how it survives. Uh, in a, you have a promoter in a local area that wants that thinks or believes that having the NWA affiliate affiliation is going to help their business. So they contact the NWA. They give them $500. I think it's $500 a year. And you can call your promotion NWA, and you have exclusive rights in that territory, basically a franchise fee. And I, from what it looks like, the AWA basically worked the, in the same the same manner. And a lot of these, just looking at a list of some of these promotions that he was associated with, that he had sold franchises to a lot of them were in areas that also had NWA affiliates. So perhaps like these promoters, they wanted to be associated. They wanted to use an old name, couldn't get NWA. They and went with AWA, but like I could understand like a fed in Wisconsin, a fed in, an indie fed in Minnesota, maybe Manitoba, but like indie feds in Tennessee and West Virginia and Georgia using the AWA name. I, why? I, I, I and I don't understand and like these California shows where he's just running as the AW Super. It, it, he had to have uh, he had to have someone giving him money there. Had there been somebody to keep wanting? Oh yeah, bring wrestling to the West Coast. It, you know, for him to go in that area. Um, just to kind of show where his championships are at this time. So it, his first AWA Superstar Wrestling Champion is Johnny Stewart in 1996. Holds it to 1999. Um, where King Kong Bundy won it. You know King Kong Bundy it got stripped. You know who the next champion was? <laughs> Dale Gagne. And that was in 2000. Uh, who then lost it to the Patriot. Who then lost it to Larry uh, Gilgarovich. Who held it for almost a whole year. He lost it to Eric Priest in 2001. Then Evan Courageous won it in March 2002. Danny Dominion in May 2002. Then two days later, which we just talked about, Evan Courageous. Then Horseshoe, future Luther Reigns. Wins the belt in October. Then it's vacated in all of 2003. Evan Courageous wins it again in 2003. And then it's vacated in 2005. Um, just the inconsistency right there. But just to see, like, he didn't... He just kind of went with guys that, like, he knew. I mean, if you look at the other titles under here, the World Tag Team titles, Heaven and Hell, which we still have no idea who they were, uh, they won the championships in 99, then the Golden Lion and Johnny Stewart after him, then Heaven and Hell. And then in 2001, the cor- he was calling somebody the Corporate Stooges, Tony DiNucci and Johnny Stewart, then Native Blood, which we just talked about, uh, Ghost Walker and Ever Warrior, then Models, Inc., Geeky Gallo and Charming Chad, uh, won it in 2004, and then that, and then that was... Uh, then they vacated when Charming Chad signed with WWE. And then there's a, the henchmen in 2004 were just awarded the title Boot of the Beast and Venom. Uh, 
Okay, so Heaven and Hell, a.k.a. Twin Turbo. There's that Turbo guy again, so yeah. there you go. So, uh, real name, Steve and Larry Gligovic. Oh, so that Larry Gligovic guy. Yeah. So who who was yeah. the heavyweight champion? Yeah, so must they must be brothers. So you have Steve and Larry. They're from Chicago, 6'3", both 6'3", both 240 pounds, willing to travel to anywhere. What am I on? Independentwrestling.tripod.com. <laughs> so it's their booking page. It's their profile page Where on Tripod. Where have I even gone? Um, in 2003, he starts really getting affiliates, though. Um, there's a lot of results for And we're not going to go through all these results. We're just going to kind of mention that, that this was going on. Hawaii Championship Wrestling. And then a promotion that still goes on in the state, which I actually enjoy. CWF Mid-Atlantic had a relationship with him. Um, there's results listed in 2005. With with them uh, on cage match, and then you, uh, and then now uh, he actually ran an AWA light heavyweight title tournament in two thousand five, which that lineage I'll pull up right now. Yeah, and uh, we're not saying like every single one of these promoters were marks giving them money. There were some good promoters. Like if it made sense to them to like maybe get an AWA champion or something was presented to them and it made sense financially to do it. Like, go ahead and do it. Like I said, like, the company locally that would use the NWA name, I know, like, for the last few years, they weren't even paying for the NWA name, but still using the still using the name. They yep. were paying for it. But, like, yeah, the CWF, uh, Mid-Atlantic here, just, I think they only had it for, like, two years, but, like, it makes sense. You get a discount on talent, maybe. Like, just it, run with it. it. It also seemed like it was for, you know, sometimes wrestling promoters will really want to help out one of their guys. Like, and Kirby Mack won that tournament and became champion. So I wonder, it was like, hey, we're going to help Kirby out. And at that point, Kirby was a fixture of North Carolina wrestling, which he's one of those guys I'm yeah. surprised never got a shot anywhere. But even with all the tainted history here, holding the AWA world title still would have gotten you mentioned. It would have got you mentioned Crossing Illustrated, mentioned The Observer. You, It would have helped your name. So, yeah, an indie fed could be like, could partner with the AWA to just get that, to get that recognition, especially in the mid two thousands when you had the NWA was pretty much just TNA at this time. Yeah. Like the titles were being controlled by TNA. So it was getting increasingly harder to book the NWA world champ, which would have lead to probably his biggest get as an AWA affiliate, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but, uh, he so what he was charging a sanctioning fee that ranged from three hundred to seven hundred fifty dollars. He sold promoters from Florida to Winnipeg the right to use the AWA logo name. He persuaded twenty two groups to join. They'd slap the AWA in front of their name: AWA Florida, AWA Rocky Mountain Championships, AWA North Atlantic. Gagner even offered one AWA franchise promotional materials so that your organization is properly represented as part of the history and legend of the AWA, the American Wrestling Association. Uh, but Gagner's liberal franchising in AWA brought him a new round of trouble. Down in Florida, Thomas Mr. T. Perryman, a part-time sports radio commentator, bought into Gagner's AWA for his Orlando promotion. He goes, if you purchase Florida, you would get all of Florida, Perryman says. So that's basically the contract. He sent it down, I signed. He got suspicious when Gagner wanted to pay him through Western Union, which could be hard to trace. <laughs> then he stumbled across a Jacksonville promoter who was selling shows under the AWA banner. That meant Gagner at least sold two Florida territories in direct violation of his contract with Perryman. Well, Jacksonville's close to Georgia. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's what Dale. 
Oh, I'm sure that's that, that's what he was. Yeah, he probably said, "Oh, it's far enough away. You're fine." Um, now the the big get I was talking about was zero one, and if you go back to our NWA, our first episode, our NWA title episode. Zero one was a big part of that, and then when they went to TNA, they didn't have a world champion like like that anymore. And I think they wanted that again. And as we could tell, Dale was one of those guys that would just kind of because they controlled the belt from '05 to '07 a lot. Uh, Omari, Carino, Otani, Omari, Rick Converse randomly had it at a time, which I'm going to talk to you about <laughs> in one minute. But Carino again, Omari, and Masato Tanaka. They all held, uh, all held the title, really during the pro wrestling zero era of really controlling the belt. With other than a brief couple instances, with Converse though, which it, the, going back to the C- city pages uh, article, with Converse, he won the world heavyweight title in two thousand six. He had to pay a thousand dollar security deposit on the belt. We signed the contract. As far as I knew, it was up and up, Converse said. I, it also stated in that there where I would lose the world title, I would get my $1,000 reimbursed. Sure enough, in 2007, when Converse lost the belt to another wrestler, Gagne did not keep his part of the bargain. He didn't reserve con- r- return Converse's money. The wrestler said after waiting for six months, Converse demanded Gagner pay up. Then I started getting phone calls from bill collectors <laughs> saying that I owed him $1,000. This went on for three months. Gagner admits that he sent the collectors, but he accuses Converse of keeping his belts. Gagner was making enemies. Uh, um, so, and I'm not in the belt itself. I'm not saying it's not a. I'm, I'm I just Google image the title like when Carino held it. It's not. It's definitely not the original belt because Jerry Lawler kept the original belt uh, when they failed to pay him uh, for dates back in the late '80s. But like the belt that Carino held, which would have been similar to the one Converse held. I'm more likely the same one. Um, doesn't look like that expensive of a title belt. And this belt was just being willy nilly. Um, in this, it says on March 2007 uh, that Carino lost the belt, but the AWA Superstar Wrestling Board of Directors returned the title to Carino when the proper paperwork for the match could not be found. You were just mad that Carino probably went to this promotion and Cindy, and they're like, hey, would you mind dropping the belt? To-? <laughs> and he was probably like, yeah, whatever, man. I'll drop it to TNT, which at that time, TNT was a rising star in the Australian indie scene. So yeah. he was probably like, yeah, I'll I'll drop the bell, whatever. Who's on the AWA Superstars Wrestling Board of Directors? <laughs> it's, it's Dale Gator and Johnny Stewart. Yeah. That, that, that's 100% it is. But he, he regains control of that belt in 2007. Just to give you a brief history of that, Zabisco, Larry Zabisco is awarded the title in 2008. Um. And then it, it uh, Brian Logan uh, w- wins the belt in two thousand eight. Uh, I mean, he did de- he did defeat Zabisco and yes. Ricky Landau in a triple threat. So uh, like, Zabisco was a defending champion. And then when AWS Reserves had to become WSL, it was Zabisco, Ricky Landau, Keith Walker, and then the title was deactivated. Just to give you, well, got- you forgot Zabisco didn't win the title back; it was returned no. to him. Oh. It says title return to Zabisco, so like he's a two-time that, that champion during board this of director, era. Uh, um, yeah. Just to give it the light heavyweight title, you would see Cyrus win it, TJ Mack, and then Kirby Mack. That title was dissolved in 2007. Uh, the world tag titles, um, 
Team Maction would win it from the henchmen. Then we have the old school blondes, Carito, Ricky Landell, which that sounds kind of fun, actually. Then the new generation dynasty, Converse and Cyrus. Uh, and then, uh, so they give Converse the, the, the tag belts after he lost the world belt. So, I mean, that, that was probably, that was another probably Dale going, hey, man, here's the tag belts. Uh, Johnny Stewart uh, and Ricky Landell. And then the vacated in 2007. Uh, a lot of these were the titles were awarded. So they, they were awarded to Johnny Stewart, Ricky Landell. Uh, the Heartbreak Express won it then, then followed by Frankie DeFalco and Jake Milliman in 2008. Jake Milliman was an AWA heavyweight, world heavyweight tag team champion. Then the Heartbreak Express won it back. And then Team Vision. Oh, by the way, those title changes were not recognized officially by the AWA uh, with losing to Milliman and gaining it back. And then the Heartbreak Express, uh, uh, they did not appear to, to make scheduled defense in a three-way, so Gagne stripped the titles and had Team Vision, which was Chase and Rance and Mr. St. Laurent. Uh, Chase and uh, Rance, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, and then Mr. St. Laurent uh, of MLW fame. And uh, they defeated Team Action, and they are the last tag team champions. As far as that fighting world championship, it only lasted a year. Ricky Landell had it. And Keith Walker. So I just discovered something. And I added it to the bottom of the links on the uh, Google Drive page. Um, when I was just looking over the heavyweight title, when Brian Logan, how Zavisco got it back, uh, it says, uh, shortly after Mountaineer Wrestling Association in West Virginia, the promotion for which Logan primarily performs, pulled out of AWA Superstars Wrestling to form American Wrestling Affiliates with several other promotions. Yep. So I just did a quick search on that and realized the American Wrestling Affiliates, alternatively referred to as the AWA or the real AWA, is a governing body of six independent wrestling promotions in the eastern United States and New Brunswick, Canada. It was created in April 2008 when former AWA Superstars of Wrestling promoter, member promo- promotion, Mountaineer Wrestling Association, broke away to form the new AWA. And it involved Apex Wrestling of West, West Virginia, World Star Wrestling of Connecticut, North Atlantic Wrestling Association of Maine, Championship Wrestling of Tennessee, Innovative Hybrid Wrestling, based in New Brunswick. So, I might have known about this back in 2008 and completely slipped my mind, because they established in April 08 and then folded 09. But it seems like a few people kind of upset about Del Gagner and broke away to do their own thing. And it was just... And, and I think... I think what was starting to happen in this time period was from 05 to 07 was the internet. And yes, the internet was around, but like people could really look up stuff during this time period. High speed internet didn't become mainstream until the early 2000s, early to mid two thousands. People really didn't get it until around. Yeah. Oh five, Oh seven. And what I, what, what I think happened here was people started really realizing this guy was a fraud. Like it was, for example, that promoter could look up that another promoter was doing AWA Florida shows. And, and I, I I think people realized that, Hey, this, this guy's, this is, he's doing this all for money. And then he creates all these enemies. I think a little bit of that. I think that was a big point of it. I also think just a few of them, a few of these promotions, like some of them signed up in 04 and left in 08, some 05, 07. 2005, 2007, I think a lot of them, too, like, they realize that, but also, like, they realize, like, we're not getting anything out of this from this guy. 
Yeah, just to tell you who was under, I mean, he had all action wrestling in Western Australia, AWA Florida, Brew City Wrestling, uh, which was in Wisconsin, AWA Russia, Minnesota, uh, ECCW in British Columbia, Pinnacle Pro in Washington, Canadian Wrestling Federation in Manitoba, Carolina Wrestling Federation in North Carolina, Hawaii Championship Wrestling in Hawaii, Platinum Pro Wrestling in Indiana, NCW National Championship Wrestling in Tennessee, which was one of his last affiliates till 2010. Uh, Millennium Wrestling Federation in Massachusetts, Mountaineer Wrestling Association, Pro Wrestling World One in Pennsylvania, Pro Wrestling uh, Zero uh, One in Japan, which we talked about Zero One, which they believe it or not, they they stayed till 2012. Actually, so did Bruce City, uh, Rocky Mountain Championship Wrestling, Spinebuster World One South uh, in Georgia, uh, Supreme Championship Wrestling in Indiana, uh, Ultra Championship Wrestling Zero in Utah. And then West Coast Wrestling Connection in Oregon, but it, a lot of a lot of in yeah. the middle of nowhere. Yes, Pro Wrestling Zero, NCW, well, NCW two, and Pro Wrestling Zero in Bruce City stayed till 2012, AW4 to 2011. So as much as this guy got mad at, so this is the this guy must just kept using the name after he like called Dale out. Yeah. So some of them just kept using. Like the I said, name what name. you just keep using the name and you don't pay him. What what's Dale Gangner gonna do? Send you a cease and desist? He doesn't own the name to begin with. He gonna take you to court. Um, so, so that kind of, you know, real quick, I want to touch on the 2005 show before we really kind of set the tone of what's going on here. An AWA wrestling show in Tucson on February 5th, promoted by Dale Gagner, drew reported 2,655 to the casino Del Sol. I don't believe that. No, I think that's very heavily like exaggerated on there. Chavo Guerrero senior. DDP, Eric Watts, Dusty Rhodes, who actually did a match, Conan, Psychosis, and Honky Tonk Man. I couldn't so, find this on Cage Match. Yeah. But but it's a casino show, so I could see a sold show. Like, they could have drew, drew a big crowd. I don't think 2,600. No. And and I think, I mean, these guys just did indie shows. That, 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 that's what they did. So, like, I think Dale probably told these guys, hey, you'll get your rates. You'll see a lot of these guys never really worked an AWA show again. Um, so I I think what it comes down to it was, you know, he tried to do something like a super indie show like we talked about, like the ballpark brawl, stuff like that. And it just, you know, uh, it probably did draw well, but he knew he couldn't keep that on because he probably didn't even pay the guys. Um, I mean, I'm just trying to see, trying to find like his AWA superstar wrestling shows. I mean, Devin definitely didn't last long. It, it, it didn't go further than that because we don't have any other results from other, any other shows. No. If this, was a, if this was actually a success, I would think the casino would want to do more or other casinos would want to do more shows, and we'd hear about it, especially in this era. Yeah, and, and, we, and we hear absolutely nothing uh, from that. Um, let's see here. Just trying to see if he ran. I mean, really, at this point, He's really living off this. I mean, he ran. Okay, so he ran a 2000. He ran another show in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, Tommy Gunn in this 2005. Tommy Gunn defeated Kim Chi. The Henchman defeated Native Blood. Jimmy Snuka defeated Johnny Stewart. And then uh, in a number one contendership match for the World Heavyweight title, Steve Carino defeated G.K. Gallo. But he's not running much himself on paper. I mean, he's probably is running these spot shows, but he's not promoting it. Like he was was in the past. Was he, was he living in Arizona at this time? Because he ran a lot in that area. I feel like he had somebody who had money. I mean, uh, we hear we hear about scam artists all the time. They're like, they don't stay in one area. 
they move around. Oh, and he's, so I could he's see been him, around, yeah. I could see him, like, burning so many bridges in Minnesota. He's, he's not living there right at this moment. Uh, um, and, I mean, a lot of these shows, too, like, he's running with, like, he, it looks like he's evolved, but he's running it with Bruce City Wrestling. He's running with World One. Like, like he got to, he was smart in the aspect, I'm not saying I justify it, but he was smart in the aspect of, like, oh, well, I'll promise all these names, and then if people want their t- money back or if guys want their money, I'll be like, oh, go see the real promoter. I'm just the synd- I'm just the head of the AWA. you, you got to go see the promoter for money. Ah, uh, that old trick. Yes. <laughs> Still happens this day. Yeah. Oh, the cash box is gone. <laughs> Somebody stole the cash box. Oh, we'll, we'll PayPal you. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Find 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 me on Facebook. Friend me on send me a friend request on Facebook, and then uh, I'll PayPal you. And then your your friend request sits in their inbox for three years. Uh, before we before we get to the uh, the the lawsuit from WWE, which will kind of be the uh, the nail in the coffin for him in in, in a lot of ways. Uh, there there was a guy. And I don't know this guy's name. He did not say who he was. But it was on the freaking awesome network boards, which used to be the Russell Crap boards. And it was, he goes by the name of Dragonfly. And he is a very long thing here. I mean, if you look up Dale Gagner freaking awesome network boards, it'll pop up. But just to to air some, some, some highlights here. Um, in the year plus that I worked for the AWA, I ended up with $30, a magazine, Steve Carino's personal email address, a copy of the PWI 500 uh, that makes a passing mention to my to my team vision angle, and a fun story to tell at the interviews. It was my work for Dale that got me the next got me the job for my next two scumbag bosses. Uh, an, another story for another time. But Dale's mixed fighting idea was turned into the Fighting World Championship, the first real champ, uh, excluding Ricky Landell, who had the held who belt, held. The belt's predecessor AWS championship was Keith Walker. He was one of the skull crushers. Uh, after Masato Tanaka went to go live with mom, the AWA world title went to Larry Sabisk. So he claimed Masato Tanaka had to go back to live with his mom. He dropped uh, draw the belt to Brian Logan, which you kind of talked about. Uh, and now, do you know that Logan's AWA title is now, well, it was the NWA Smoky Mountain title, which now has become, um, I forget what Tony Givens changed that promotion name to it escapes me right now, but that title lineage is gone. That the far actual out. belt, yeah. What's the, that's the interesting thing too with the original AWA belt and, uh, that something like that. The original AWA belt that uh, Lawler had, he never sent back, and he just he kept it himself. They re, they created a unified belt for the USWA. Jerry Lawler lost it to lost the title to a person named the Snowman who left the territory with the belt. So Lawler may have sold it for crack. We don't know. That's <laughs> that's, that's what Lance Russell claimed. <laughs> um, then uh, Lawler repurposed the AWA title belt as the USWA heavyweight title belt. So all throughout the nineties, the USWA title belt was the original AWA heavyweight title belt. So like. Quite interesting where belts get repurposed. I mean, and just just a, like this guy, you know, he brings up a lot of uh, um, this guy brings a lot of in depth stuff. Uh, you know, broken promises from Dale and all that. I would read that if you guys get a chance. I'm not going to go through a whole thing because we it's just one guy's like 
personal experience, but his name's not quoted, so I don't want to quote a lot. But it just it's another guy, much like Jimmy Van. Oh yeah, come work for me, man. Yeah, you're a fan. You know, come work for me. And he just totally totally screws the kid over. Um, and also, like, yeah, there's. Do you believe it? Well, when there's where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, like there's enough going on with. Dale Gagner and other things that you could tend to believe a good good portion of the stuff in here that this person's saying. Now, I wanted to read something. Uh, now, this was after the lawsuit, but it kind of ties into what we're talking about right now. Um, where <laughs> on Man- uh, on Russell's own uh, promoters claim they were scammed by Dale Gagner. The hell you say? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then the. Um, this was uh, sent me from Walt Tasky, the promoter of Platinum Pro Wrestling in Indiana, regarding how Dale Gagner scams talent of promoters. Uh, this is a situation that may affect you. Put yourself in a position to be worked over by Dale Gagner. If you have any affiliation with him, reconsider immediately. This situation is a bezeling scheme that Mr. Gagne slash Gagner uses to steal finances from workers and promoters. This is a testament how he operates. At, I am sharing this information with you to prevent Mr. Gagne from blackmailing individuals mentioned in the copied emails below. I assured you that the situations involving the wrestlers that Mr. Gagne and fabricated are false. The scam is set up in a matter that Dale contacts wrestlers that have worked for him and tells them that he wants to put a championship belt on him, but would need a retainer fee to secure the property so that wrestlers may take physical custody. There is a contract signed about upon submitting that the title states that the retainer be returned upon the return of the belt on the or the date scheduled on the said contract which happens earlier, whatever happens earlier. Mr. Gagne never allows the title to change possession nor retains a retainer. The proof is illustrated below where Dell re- Del creates a false scenario to blackmail the wrestlers out of funds uh, with an illicit defaming scenario. This plays out um, where Dale solicited the belt deposit of $1,100 from two workers. Uh, worker one was scheduled uh, to take custody of the title in the Carolinas earlier this year. Upon resival, arrival in Statesville, Gagne sends the current champion a text saying, saying, don't switch the titles. This is fine because the worker is also not paid the fight's fee owed due to there not being a title match. Uh, Mr. Gagne then tells the same wrestler to get in touch with the Georgia promoter. Uh, we will do the change there again. And when he arrives in Georgia, the champion receives a message saying, don't switch the title unless I dial him there. Fortunately, the promoter took care of the fight fee. Still, unfortunately, for the promoter who bought a plane ticket for Dale to be a part of his show, Mr. Gagne no-showed, causing a financial loss for the promoter to elevate a scam. During the same time, another wrestler in Australia is contacted regarding the same thing to win the belt from current champion uh, K-Mac. Um, and, that, and that would be uh, the, um, which I think it's mentioned in the article here, uh, uh, Andrew, he was like a junior heavyweight at the time, um, it's a Andrew Carter. Uh, he, he wrote a story when he first went to AW how much like Dale took care of him in this and that. And then here's, here's Dale ruining another good guy. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he's pulling, he's basically pulling a Bernie Madoff type, like t- taking all this money from multiple sources yeah. and just never giving back. But basically, and in this scenario too, and I, he gets a thousand dollars from Carter and then he tells Kirby Mack, no, we're no title change. Like, and it, well, he's just listening to, like, his boss, hey, uh, the, look, and he shows the promoter, look, no title change. I mean, theoretically, even if he spent the $1,000, $1,100 from the current champion, he gets it from 
the future champion, he could just use that to pay off the current champion. So it's not like, oh shit, this guy can't lose the belt because I can't pay him back his money. So he technically could have did it that way, but still, like he's scamming multiple people. Because it says later on here that uh, a wrestler in Australia he did the same thing to. So yeah, he was doing and, it Andrew all. Carter, that's what was, yeah, yeah, he was, was doing, doing it all. Yeah. yeah, he was doing it all around the board. Um, so we've kind of set the story for this guy leading into the last part of this. He has lied about having rights to the AWA name. He has sold the AWA name to these promoters, saying it's going to help them garner crowds, whatever. He has gotten deposits for guys to get the titles and not had the title switch or had the guy lose the belt and not give him his money back. Uh, I mean, he's lied about people being on the show. He said fake Golgas. He's had fake Patriots standing Dominion. Uh, you know, no offense to Dominion, but he was a fake Patriot. Like all these just things he did. Oh, WWF super, all this stuff. Shock. Like, and the fact that this all started in 1989 and it didn't take until 2007. Almost 20 years. Almost 20 years for someone to finally put the hammer down on this guy. Isn't that amazing? It's it's absolutely amazing here. It's it's the 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 good brother aspect of wrestling where you just hide your head in the sand and just let things go because someone's a good brother or someone's, oh, he never did anything bad to me. Yeah. And people so just let stuff still go. still dealing with that to this day. Yeah. Um, so now we lead into the last point where – it's now 2007, and the WWE finally decides to file a lawsuit against Mr. Dal Gagner. So we've gone into the long, extensive history of of, of Dal Gagner, Gandhi, whatever, and how he's he used the AWA name to his benefit to you know promoters and talent and fans out of money uh, to to rip them off. And I, I mean, we have all the facts here, you know. I, we could say allegedly, but I mean, there's so many accounted reports of that. But it, a lot of it comes to a halt. And in 2007, and uh, and why did this come to a halt? Well, WWE filed a trademark infringement lawsuit this week against Dale Gagner, who promotes shows as Dale Gagner under the AWA banner. In fact, uh, you know, uh, one of those shows was worked under the years ago. Um, so is this is Meltzer saying he worked one of these shows from the notes here? Uh, well, this is from Figure Four Online. Oh, so this four. is so Alvarez. Alvarez. This is Alvarez. Okay. So yeah. So basically, WWE owns all the comp- original AWA footage and is claiming that Gagner tr- is trying to confuse the marketplace. The suit claims that uh, Gagner is a serial offender. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. And has already been served with a suit by the original holders of the trademark. The, mini, the, the Minneapolis Boxing Wrestling Club in 1990, which is what Gandhi had the AWA under. Uh, they claimed that he had gone so far to change his name to Gandhi in an attempt to claim he was related to Vern. He's not closely related, though he claims they're distant relatives. That could be proven. Um, I hope this is not, not a major crux in the case of the court, because if it goes back far enough, we're all really related. WWE wants the rights to AWAstars.com website and MySpace. Uh, they claim he is selling merchandise, including hats and T-shirts, featuring the AWA marks, uh, promoting wrestling activities, performances, and events using the AWA marks, uh, uh, which is trademarks for short in, in a lot of legal lists. Uh, I mean, pre- he was using the 
original AWA yep. logo. He didn't try to rework the logo at all. No. The logo that Vern Greg owned. Uh, he was presenting information relating to historical AWA wrestling promotion and displaying images of website wrestlers firmly associated with the AWA wrestling promotion. And that this shows clear intent to misrepresent the company and successors of Vern's promotion. This is irreparably harmed World Wrestling Entertainment. I don't know about that. Uh, to be honest, I'm stunned that this idea didn't come down sooner. Gagner claims he created the new AWA in 1996 and has been promoting with no problems the past 10 years. In a letter to PW Insider, he basically says he threatened to fight this in court and to reveal the reality of WWE's independent contractor claims. Basically, WWE claims all of its wrestlers are independent contractors. And if you look at the IRS's class of that. Uh, classification employees versus independent contractors, it's pretty clear that the wrestlers are actual employees. I've been told by several different attorneys that there is no way WWE claims would ever hold up in court, but nobody has ever challenged. By classing the <laughs> 12 years later. <laughs> yeah, Andrew Yang. <laughs> uh, WWE saves a ton of money by not having to withdraw IRS earnings, not having to pay sick leave, unemployment, health benefits, the way that uh, this way could bite WWE in the ass if they are found to falsely classify the wrestlers. They would be responsible for all back payments dating back decades, which would be a huge chunk of change. Perhaps noting that will come out of this would be an interesting uh, fight there. Um, obviously, in today's world, that's crazy because we know that this has been a thing with Zelina Vega and and uh, Andrew Yang and all that. But I love how they're like, hey, dude, you don't own this. And he goes, well, you mistreat your employees. <laughs> like, yeah. The, 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 that that's his defense. Um, and like another defense he had too in there was he claimed because he registered the DBA in Minnesota as AWA and the state of Minnesota didn't tell him no that he's entitled to use it. And like we were talking earlier, like I in New York State I could get a DBA for uh, Waffle House restaurants, and New York State will allow that DBA if there's no DBA active in New York State with that name. That doesn't mean I could legally run Waffle House restaurants. No, it's it, – uh, and it, what I found funny is, is in response, he hired no lawyer. He prepared no defense. He said those <laughs> comments, but he had, he had, he had no defense. Uh, they wanted a jury trial, McDevitt, and, uh, uh, but that became unnecessary. Uh, and then let's see here. Just look, see at the timeline here. Uh, they might have actually lost as a yes. jury trial in Minnesota. They may have lost, yeah. In, uh, so on the city pages, in March 2018, Christopher Verdini, an attorney for WWE, deposed Gagner in Rochester, Minnesota. Gagner was cagey at times flippant, the transcript shows. He often evaded Verdini's questions. He sprinkled his answers with philosophical statements about wrestling history and its own place within it. So he tried the Chewbacca defense. <laughs> he tried to be like... I know we're here about this, but the great AWA and wrestling history of Minnesota, he tried the Chewbacca defense. Like, this is my birthright. <laughs> yes. Uh, by Gagner's meandering testimony, he says he was drunk at the time. He's drunk testifying against um, – or drunk – I can't even uh, – couldn't mask the heart of the matter whether he had stolen the AWA trademark. The question came down to one simple exchange. When Verdini asked Gagner why he thought he had the right to use the AWA name, I'm asking you, did you ever get a license to use the AWA in context of World Wrestling Entertainment from anyone, Verdini said. because did I need one? Gagner replied, <laughs> I, I don't recall other than being registered in the St. Minnesota business in good standing. And I'm not trying to be smart here, Verdini said. So the answer is no. You never got a license from anyone to do use the AWA in connection with wrestling. 
Dale. Again, I, whose permission would I need? I don't know. Verdini, my question is, did you ever get one? Dale, once again, no. They crushed him with their case uh, on that. Um, and and again, that's the thing, like, oh, I, 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 I didn't need permission. Like, what, what, what a defense. But again, like, and, and Vince or uh, Vern sued you several times in the 90s. Like, that would, right there proved, like, that proved the WWE's case right here, that you didn't have the rights. Alvarez, Alvarez brought up a great point. They should have did this sooner. They should have nipped this in the bud in 2000, 2001, 2002. As soon as they got it, yeah. As soon as, as, like. He might have actually just been under the radar. Yeah. Or, like I said, like, guys. when did, when did the. Because the third-party bookings stopped on the Attitude Era, so they were booked. So when they were booking guys out to Gagner's AWA was in the 90s before they owned the rights to it. Like by 2001, 2002, it could have very well been under the radar. I'm sure there's people in the company. I'm sure like Jim Ross, other people in the office. Who's in talent relations? Johnny Ace. Maybe Johnny Ace didn't know. But Dreamer knew. Like there's Simon Dean knew. There's people there that knew. I think they just, it just was so far under the radar that I don't think it bothered them. Dude, at I that think... time, Jeff Hardy, like, he may have been with the – he's been on off, but, like, Jeff Hardy was, like, Kirby Mack's mentor. Like, he knows his, like, the kid he's mentoring as the AWA light heavyweight championship. Like, you know? Here's here, here's actually the thing, though. Uh, what was WWE doing around 2006, 2007? They were starting up WWE 24-7, which is WWE Classics on Demand which is their uh, web-based no. version, like the precursor to the network. They that started the... That started in late 04, 05, and it started to ramp yeah. up where they were having AWA classics on there. Now, basically what that was is you go to uh, – some cable companies had a, like a video on demand. I think like AT&T, U-verse, Fios, few, few had that as an on-demand channel. Uh, but you could also go to WWE.com and pay like five five dollars a month to get that. That's where like the WWE Legends Roundtable show originally was on. There was some uh, classic ECW stuff. There was um, Mid Atlantic stuff, and there was an AWA stuff. And I think Larry Nelson hosted some classic AWA stuff. I don't know yeah. if it was new footage, but like, so this was around that time in 05, 06, that they were starting to ramp that up. Yeah, but so we, I think maybe they realized we, if we're going to start promoting AWA, the vintage AWA stuff, we need to go after this. Well, this didn't happen until, they didn't really sue him until 07. Like, when they, I'm surprised they didn't sue him before they released the spectacular legacy of AWA in 06. Like, you would have thought they would have sued him before that. would have nipped that in the bud before that happened. You know? Yeah, yeah. Spectacular legacy of the AW was eighty oh six. Yeah, it was oh six. Well, maybe like they didn't. They filed the lawsuit in May of oh seven. Did Spectacular Legacy come out in late oh six? Maybe, maybe they were. Maybe when they released that, they were starting getting a buzz between AWA and they started clamping down. Um, so I don't know. I'm just. I'm just trying to find a, an actual reason why that. Like everything that Ganya did over the previous 15 years that this was that something had to have been the catalyst that they were started going after him in 07 i mean it, it probably i wonder if it was greg being a road agent yeah actually you're right because greg greg worked as a road agent and 
booking committee, I believe, like I mean, briefly. Maybe Greg said to him, well, Greg was in developmental too, I think, at one point, maybe even over there. But Greg probably said to him, like, hey, just so you know, this Dal guy's using this. <laughs> like, he maybe said something. Uh, yeah, April 06, uh, Greg went to work uh, as a road agent. And so, then he went to, uh, I remember they sent him to OVW. He was, he was helping running OVW shortly after that. So uh, maybe they filed the papers in 06, but it doesn't really. It, take, it takes time. It takes time for discovery. Yeah. yeah. So that had it had to that be, could have been it one had thing to be too. Greg Gagne in the DVD. That that's what it was. Ah, what a bastard! <laughs> um, in August of two thousand, August twenty fifth, two thousand eight, uh, Dale Gagne, real last name Gagner, uh, who was AWA, was first feared to have a heart attack, but now is on the being side of a bacterial infection that mimicked the symptoms a one would have from a heart attack. Gagne wrote that the medicine that he takes for psychotic. Arthritis compromises the immune system. His weakened immune system made uh, made it appear he suffered a heart attack. He's released from there. So this this court case is stressing him out. Him being sued obviously is is detrimental to his health. Yeah. Um. And in then November third, two thousand eight, the U.S. Court District Judge in Minnesota issued a summary judgment uh, against Dale Gaynor in a lawsuit brought by WWE against him for infringing upon their trademarks with the name of the AWA and all AWA intellectual property. Uh, they purchased the name of the rights uh, the property of that from Vern Gagne in two thousand five. So that's when they officially buy it. Not till five. So the interesting part of the case is that in nineteen ninety one. Um, when it was was uh, folded, Ghani used it as a relative in promoting shows. We kind of know all that. But it says that, you know, uh, Ghani had been using AWA when WF was doing third-party bookings, and they even booked their talent on his Gagner's AWA shows. Um, nobody else was using it initials. Um, kind of got to wrap this up here. Uh, After buying the assets, WB sued Gagner for using the name that they owned. So... Yeah, the court ruled that WWE showed the AWA marks were federally registered to Gagne and passed it to WWE. As Vern Gagne and passed yes. it to WWE. So, yeah, it, it does seem like shortly after they bought it, they were just probably tying up loose ends. Greg probably tipped them off like, hey, this this doofus is consider, is calling himself a distant relative and using the name. You might want to go after this guy. So then in November of 2008, when it's pretty much – it's. He, he, he's lost. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he is lost. And yet he's still delicate. Uh, he was upset by any reports that WF won the court case against him. And his version of the was essentially finished. The WB claim against the AWA has 23 counts of complaints. He told one radio show, the summary judgment, uh, which had no intention uh, of winning was for one count out of 23. So he claims that they only won because of one out of 23. No, no. Every single count there, bud. You you did illegal, <laughs> like, uh, but uh, he goes. Does that mean they want a lawsuit? We're currently appealing, even uh, the one decision. However, as part of a confidential settlement, we are disbanding AWAstars.com. You just he he can't admit defeat. I'm just imagining him filing an appeal and just going all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. We have Dale Gagner in the U.S. <laughs> Supreme Court. Trying to challenge Minnesota copyright law. So and 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 and, and that's and, and that's what does it. I mean, he he's done. He he does run wrestling superstars live for a couple years. Yeah, like that still can that still was around, but like I don't know how much he, 
active he was at that point because as well as we were reading through all this stuff it seemed like he was he even though he was licensing the AWA name and scamming champions out of belt deposits it seemed like he just wasn't leaving the house he was letting these other feds do it like run as the AWA and yeah and he was Again, like he was, and as he changed the wrestling superstars live, it seemed like he was doing the same thing for a few years until each of them slowly either faded away or got smartened up. And after, like, and after he officially lost Gorky, December 2008, it's, it's officially done. He was telling his workers he was still connected to the AWA and was having the AWA belt with the deposits and everything like that. Um, <laughs> News travels slowly in the Midwest. Yes, apparently it does. So I found a couple other side bits after after the fact. So um in 2010 uh he 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 uh met somebody um named Jill Thacker. Okay? And she was trying to get her son into wrestling and his his name was Bud Thacker. He was a defensive tackle at Florida State. Uh didn't get drafted and and didn't really make it in the NFL. Um but he's he's an athlete. He can yes. have a serious chance of making something out of out of his career. So Gagner tells her, "Oh, I feel like a budget take the opportunity to attend the WWE Developmental Clinic, August 27, 2009, 2000. And this is when they did. You can go down there and pay for a tryout. Yeah. Uh, Gagner wrote uh, an email to Bud's mom. The cost is twelve hundred dollars for three days, which includes training, development, seminars, a live event, lodging, and meals. Uh, Gagner said he'd pay half of the camp fee and told Thacker to send him six hundred. Please make the payment to WWE slash Dale R. Gagner presents Hero. Gagner was taking the audacity to a new level, moving beyond the AWA and co-opting his name on the company that sued him two years before. He even suggested his WWE connections could smooth the path to wrestling stardom for Bud. Uh, we would pursue the big guys at WWE, whom you know I have a very good relationship with. Thacker sent in her money. Someone cashed a check. But the hopeful stage mom quickly found out that Gagner's story wasn't true. Over the 4th of July weekend, she searched the web and discovered that the clinic Gagner said sold her was taking place that very weekend. She emailed Gagner, who acted insulted, uh, that she would doubt him. Gagner contacted the WWE camp owner directly. He said he never heard of Gagner, uh, which that's not – that would have been Steve Kern. Kern would have known this guy, knew this guy. But he probably told her, oh, he's not, she doesn't work. He doesn't, he doesn't work for us. Well, Gagner, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if Gagner tried to use the Ganya name and hopefully if someone Googled Googled him at that moment just did Gag, Gagner or Gagna. Yes. Gag, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, saying? would you call up Greg, Greg Ganya? Would just, like, Google Ganya, WWE, WWE, and it would come up. Greg Ganya as an employee of WWE during this time. And might maybe like would put two and two together of thinking, all right, this person is like, there's people named Ganya working for this company. It's legit. Uh, Gangner said it was wasn't his fault. Nearly a scheduling blip. Unfortunately, the cutoff date was already done, so we ordered a different camp. Gangner says we sent the money in the retainer to him. Thacker is still waiting to get her money back. So that that never happened. Um, in 2020, she's still waiting. Still still waiting, and. After that, he claims he goes to rehab, gets cleaned up. Um, he's pretty quiet. But when me and you were doing our research, I can't find out why, but he got sued again in 2013. <laughs> um, it's the Patterson versus, versus Gagner case here. Uh, it, 
I mean, obviously, it probably has something to do financially with money here, but he was still getting sued uh, out there, you know, in the Midwest. Um, I mean, this guy, he blames, in the City Pages article, he blames drugs, alcohol, you know, uh, a lot of that, trying to hide his sexuality, a lot of that on why he acted the way he did. And, like, listen... All those things can take a toll on somebody, absolutely. But you don't do this for t- for from 1989 to 2010 for 21 years. Probably longer than that. Yeah, you don't do yeah. this, and it's all those related. You knew what you were doing. You knew you were conning good people. You were you lie. He lied to fans, wrestlers, promoters, parents of wrestlers. <laughs> He lied to everybody. Um, one thing I found really interesting is that he is on Twitter. He's not very active, uh, but he is on Twitter here and there. But his last post was actually February of this year where he posted the NXT results. And he goes, how is it these want the NXT AEW ratings? And he goes, how is it these wannabe journalists are inaccurate and sloppy? You have the numbers wrong. World One Wrestling responded, Hey, Dale, glad we found you. Can you please send us the money you took back from us in August 2007 for booking Doink and the Patriot? We still have all the emails if you need us to refresh your memory. (laughs) And that's why he's not active on Twitter. (laughs) Credit to World One Wrestling. I I give them a follow. After that, that popped me. Um, That kind of goes along in the same aspect of people that still kind of troll Gabe Sapolsky. And mention how he took money from uh, for the ECW fan club in January 2001, and ECW closed the next month and didn't mm-hmm. reimburse people. So there you have it. Probably one of the most interesting men in a bad way in professional wrestling, Dale Gagner, Dale Gagne, whatever you want to call him. It just goes to show you, and this is going to be what we're going to talk a lot about this in this podcast history, is wrestlers just want that opportunity fans just want an opportunity to be in the wrestling business you know people just want to make money and these promoters guys like him now there's a lot of great wrestling promoters out here but there's a lot of wrestling promoters like Dale Gagne they take advantage of somebody's dreams or wants or wishes and that's what happened here you know I mean he capitalized on a lot of people being knowing that AWA history and you know, and him actually working for AWA for that brief time. And it, it, it just blows. And he honestly, and, and going back to our first podcast topic, TNA basically being the NWA, I think helped him a lot because now you didn't have this title that independent guys could hold and promoters could pay for and, and all, all these affiliates. It wasn't as attractive to be an NWA promoter at that time because you couldn't really, like you had TNA on TV, but it, yeah, you couldn't get the champion as much at yeah. that point. Yeah. And, and by the time that comes the script where NWA starts being the NWA like that again, he's pretty much done. So th- that's what I found very, very, I mean, that that's a parallel event that people don't think. He was able to do that, especially zero one. He's able to make zero one an AWA affiliate uh, because of that. Um, well, I mean, th- this has been a very fun, interesting show, and we're gonna kind of keep with the theme. Uh, me and you kind of talked off air. Um, so for so this show is going to be, you guys are going to be he- 
first hearing this on Thanksgiving Eve. So throughout your time, where, where you're, whether you're traveling or with your family, whatever you may be doing, staying home, isolating because of COVID, whatever it may be, um, whatever you're doing for Thanksgiving holiday, enjoying our show. Our next show will probably be released uh, late December, and we're actually going to talk about a man that was made famous by the Beyond the Mat documentary, Roland Alexander. We're going to get into all the history of Roland Alexander, uh, a very famous lawsuit that people forget is connected to him, yeah. as well as uh, and a lot of a lot of APW. Ca- yeah, a lot of uh, Canadian indie scene, a lot of the Canadian indie scene or uh, uh, California, California, California the, the indie early, scene. Early, the early predecessor to PWG in that yeah. area, so. Um, and we, we mentioned it before, uh, in the ballpark brawl episode, how like it didn't really start until maybe 2010 plus where people really re recognize Canadian or California wrestlers and stuff like that. And like, yeah, somebody from Boston would know a California indie wrestler. So it's a lot of history that has not been a lot of publicized in a lot of matters. So really interested to get into APW talk, you know, Michael modest, Tony Jones and all that fun stuff. So, um, to other than that, guys, I hope you enjoy your, your, your Thanksgiving holiday, uh, Happy Thanksgiving to you all out there. We really want to thank you for listening. Like I said, RTA Pod on Twitter, Instagram, follow us, like us on Facebook. Um, please do that, folks. Tell your friends and family. The audience is growing. We really appreciate it. Want to thank our friends at the BICP Radio Network, uh, especially uh, Chris Chavez, been helping us with try to get sponsors and stuff, as well as Matt Johnson, who runs the podcast Precine Studio helping us a lot and by the way too if you are local to the western new york area and you're looking to do a podcast uh you could message me and i will get you in the right direction for that as far as the podcast precinct with matt johnson so um anything else you want to follow up on ash here no i think you pretty much hit on that i talked about the how a lot of people just want to be in the business and i think that was that's the underlying thing with this with this episode where it's it sets the indies back a lot when you have untrustworthy promoters, untrustworthy con artists, just it and just taking money. And I use I call it locusts. I call them locusts because mm-hmm. they're that's what they do. And there's a lot of old former WWE names and tag team wrestlers from the '80s that do that type of stuff. Yeah, you know, like Brian Knobs. But uh, <laughs> oh, it's called call shots. And, uh, you know, they come in and just take as much money as they can out of something and just leave it decimated. And I think a guy like Dale Gagner did that a lot and set back indie wrestling a lot where it could be some of these areas that he hurt. Like, he hurt hurt casinos. He hurt county fairs. Yeah, it's a fascinating story and a what if if that didn't never existed, like how far indie wrestling, at least in those areas, would be if he didn't pull scams on people. So, uh, yeah, I, it, like I said, I mean, this is a guy that I, I think the big common indie wrestling fan has heard of, but I think we really got into a lot of that stuff that I, before researching, didn't know he pulled the deposit stuff. I knew about you know, line of promoters and stuff like that. I had no idea the deposit stuff was, was a thing. So, but he, he would mess with wrestlers who a lot, a lot of times have short fuses and would. Yeah. Would... I mean, poor Rick Converse. Like he had to deal with that. So, uh, I will once again, thank you guys for listening. I hope you have enjoyed Thanksgiving and, uh, support independent wrestling and always, uh, you know, delve into independent wrestling history. We are rediscovering Indies, Chris Gullo, John. Jonathan-
Chris, what are you recording? I'm currently recording a Vinyl Divers podcast. Vinyl episode. Divers? What's that? Vinyl Divers is a podcast that I do where I talk everything music related from bands that are on vinyl that I've collected, uh, old vinyl that I found and purchased, to bands that I'm currently listening to on iTunes and Spotify because guess what? I can't afford all the vinyl that I want. But it's a vinyl podcast. Yes, essentially. It's a music podcast that started off as a vinyl podcast. Is there diving involved? There is diving into podcasts and vinyls. Where can I find Vinyl Divers? Find Vinyl Divers on the network app, BICVP-radio.com. Sweet. Keep diving.